I think this is one that I've often found myself asking a lot, uh, even as a follower of Jesus, and it has to do with the idea of God's wrath, right? We, we see a lot of that being referred to in the Old Testament, but then New Testament, we see a God who's full of grace and mercy and love. So it almost seems like there's two different kinds of gods that we're encountering, but we also know that God is one. So how do we make sense of God's wrath? All right. So we're jumping into the deep end of the pool. Um, how many of you have tried reading through the entire Bible at one point and didn't make it? All right, didn't make it all the way through. Okay, uh, totally understandable. I could put my hands up multiple times. Uh, but let me, let me just say, um, a verse that helped me, and we did a whole sermon series on this last year. It was called Get a New God. Because if we're honest, a lot of us, our view of God is based on distortions. Distortions from what others have told us about God how people who say they follow God have treated us, or even how those representing God to us, like our parents, may have unintentionally distorted our view. But in the scriptures, God reveals himself in the Old Testament, and he reveals himself with uh, an extended version of his name that's repeated seven different times throughout the Hebrew scriptures. It's this phrase here. Um, Moses is having this encounter with God And God proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, this is Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And so we see that God is loving, but we also have to know that The Hebrew scriptures, if you think about it, some of this was taking place like 4,000 years ago when all of society was like ISIS. And so what God was doing was actually trying to create a peculiar people with specific rules for a specific time in history. And so a lot of those rules, what we see in the New Testament is only the Hebrew scriptures that are um, basically affirmed or fulfilled in Jesus do we continue to live by. And we'll talk about the scriptures at some point. But God's wrath is not like our anger. So we think of God in our own image instead of realizing we're created in his image. So God's wrath is often revealed by him letting us have what we want. And so if the scriptures tell us and other philosophies and religions say you reap what you sow, that's good news if you're reaping good things. If you're reaping evil, sometimes reaping evil eventually, uh, sorry, sowing evil reaps evil. And so Numbers uh, 24 or 14.9 says the Canaanites' protection is gone. For 400 years, God warned the Canaanites to stop doing such evil. And then he stops protecting them. The people of Israel, sometimes it seems like God is angry a lot in the Hebrew scriptures. It's because for hundreds of years, they're being warned. And then eventually he lets his protection down. And so we see God is consistent There's a part of God inside of us, we don't like injustice, and we want God to do something about it, and if we were to have him get rid of all the evil in the world, there'd be no people left. And so understanding God is bigger than us, it's hard for us to fully understand him, but we know that he is loving and compassionate and patient, and his justice will one day, when it happens, and it happens all the time, we reap what we sow, Uh, we will look back and be grateful that he is trustworthy. 
All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks for diving deep already. Um, got another one for you. All right. This one is a little bit connected to suffering. Why is our campus pastor, Eric, bald? Bald. <laughs> well, it's a genetic predisposition. Uh, now, actually, I don't know if you know this, but uh, those of us who are bald, bald men in the room, you may already know this, it's because we have too much testosterone. That's like a scientific fact. So I don't know what that says about those of you with hair, but I will say, <laughs> I will say that, uh, true story, I shaved my head at 26 and it just never grew back. That's the, the long and short story of it. All right. And we get the added bonus of the light shining off of your baldness. That's right, so yes. I feel like we get more of God's More bonus. illumination. Yes. <laughs> I don't think anyone really tweeted that, did they? No, okay. no. Okay. <laughs> my personal Twitter account. You, you were just wondering, okay. Um, All right, so here's another one that deals more with really just uh, this, I think like this idea of the Trinity, right? So um, sometimes we hear about this in our circles, right? Like there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How do we make sense of that? Yeah. Like Jesus being the only way of... To God, but then there's this other Trinity thing going yeah. on. So remember, part of what we're dealing with here is trying to understand God who has revealed himself to us. God outside of time and space, and we have language that's limited. Uh, there are things we can try to understand about God, but the word Trinity is actually not in the Bible. It's our way to try to describe how there is one God who has revealed himself in three persons. Um, and then some of our analogies can break down, like I'm a father, I'm also a husband, I'm a brother, and so people relate to me differently, but I'm one person, or H2O, those are the molecules that make up steam and water and ice, or the sun, you know, there's one, it's a star, but it also emanates heat and light, and so one, but in these three different experiences, but all those really break down. Ultimately, what we see in the scriptures is that there is a God who was in community from before time and space began. He created, and then he came to us to rescue us, and his name is Jesus. And his spirit, from the very beginning, you can read, uh, in the very beginning through the Hebrew scriptures, you'll see elements of God revealed in these three different ways, but ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus. Um, some of us grew up kind of with this, kind of going back to understanding God's wrath and that sort of thing. Um, some of us grew up with kind of this perception of God where John 3.16, which says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, we kind of hear it as God so hated the world that he killed his son. And we have this, this disconnect where actually Jesus is God. He took upon himself. When you ask you know, the question of suffering and why so much suffering in this world and isn't God going to do something about it? He actually did. He came and took it upon himself. And what you see is, um, the, it's fascinating. If you look at projections of like population, you know, like 10% of all the people who've ever lived are alive right now. Isn't that crazy? And most people who've ever lived, lived after Jesus. But everyone who lived before Jesus could know God by trusting in the God who would rescue them. Everyone who's come since Jesus can know God because of the one who came to rescue us and who's coming again. So let me just encourage you to kind of do a deeper dive. Um, I'll, I'll put this up on our Facebook page. I did a whole kind of article on the Trinity to help us understand. But again, our language cannot put into words 
something that's beyond comprehension. But he's revealed himself in these three ways. A father who loves us, a son who came to rescue us, and the spirit who guides us. That's really good. Thank you, Eric. Um, So this next question deals really with, I'm going to frame it a little bit bigger because we've gotten several questions around um, just morality and sexuality. Uh, So some of the the questions, I'll just read it off to you guys. Uh, Why do so many, quote unquote, Christians treat queer people the way that they do? Uh, How can we better love and support our LGBTQ community based on scripture through a lens of love rather than judgment? Uh, Also, some other questions that we've gotten around the whole sexuality, morality ideas are like, well, can I marry somebody who's been divorced before? Uh, What does sex outside of marriage look like? Um, So we're going to try to tackle some of them. We're not going to get to everything, but it's a big question. Sure, for sure. Well, let me just start with this. Part of what I love about our community is Uh, When we say, come as you are, uh, we actually mean it. And actually, uh, when I first moved here, I was kind of amazed at how authentic Austinites are. (laughs) Uh, We don't hide who we are and where we've been and what we've been through. And that's beautiful because that's what helps us move forward. See, I grew up in Texas, but it was Dallas, uh, which is very different than Austin. And it was the 80s, and we had kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy. You did whatever you wanted on Saturday night, and you acted like you didn't on Sunday morning. <laughs> and what, the problem with that is when you're not authentic, and when you're kind of more connected with trying to look like your certain way, um, it keeps you stuck. And so, unfortunately, the church, and here's, here's something that, let me, two quick thoughts. One, we consider this more like the Sermon on the Mount, our experience on Sundays, And Jesus, by the way, would teach in fields uh, to the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and the disciples because some of those folks were not allowed in the synagogue. The religious leaders did not create a space for them. This is a space that's safe for everyone. And this is not the upper room. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is a place where you can come with your doubts and your struggles and uh, however you identify, this is a place where you are welcomed And all you have to do, how do we love more like Jesus? You know, Jesus spent time with people the religious people considered sinners. So here's the the thing that I want us to make sure we're always about. Christians too often have not been the best representatives of Jesus. Unfortunately, people who call themselves Christians have actually seen themselves as almost like the moral police. And as a result, People who without faith have felt judged. But why would people of faith hold people to a standard that's in the scriptures for people of faith when even people of faith aren't able to live up to those standards? Here's the thing. What we've discovered is if someone falls in love with Jesus and starts following him, he guides us into a life uh, better than what we could ever imagine. And so what we're trying to do is create the place where people are not judged beforehand, not judged during, but actually loved throughout the process. And, and part of what I think is so beautiful is we are all more in need of redemption than we realize. And we are all more loved than we could ever imagined. And so um, part of the problem is, you know, we've kind of made sex uh, a god in our culture. 
Uh, we think that's kind of the end-all, be-all, and um, we wrap everything around it. But in many ways, you know, God created sex on purpose and, and with a purpose, and it's uh, most beautifully expressed in the context of a covenant marriage. And so it's, it's funny, because as a kid, I was taught what not to do. Like the Bible is seen as a giant don't-do list. Like avoid all this so you have no fun in life. Uh, but in reality, what helped me was when I started to understand why God might say what he has to say. And that actually sex outside of the context of a covenant marriage, a good illustration is like fire. You know, fire within a fireplace, you know, it's great. It warms you up. You can cook with it. But outside of the fireplace, it can be destructive. See, oftentimes the scriptures are God's invitation to trust him, that his ways are not our ways. And that as we come to him, he will guide us in a whole new way. But our job as people of faith is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as we love ourselves. All right. Thank you. Nope. By the way, I, he's got a timer here. I'm trying to answer in two and a half minutes, and every time it's closer to four. So yeah. I'll, I'll try you're, to you're doing much better I'll than last time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, our next question kind of has to do with God's silence or God's seeming hiddenness to us. Um, I think oftentimes, even when we get to a place where we're intentionally trying to seek God or discover God, it gets frustrating because he still feels so distant, right? God God seems like he's not really accessible, right? Well, the way I was trying to look for this uh, little quote, I'll, I'll just summarize with this thought. Um, we live on planet Earth uh, in a season in history, and it's limited. But what I think we get to experience is like life is, is like a, a time capsule. We have the opportunity to experience a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of, of heaven, eternity with God. But we also get to experience a glimpse of eternity without God. And so in that process, because God gives us freedom He is actually giving us the opportunity to choose if we want to follow him, if we want to be with him forever. And so on this side of eternity, this short time frame gives us the opportunity to decide whether or not we want to trust him and become his children. And so what happens in the midst of that is we have the opportunity to fully trust him and grow in our walk with him, but also we can choose a life without him. God gives us that kind of freedom. And so because of that, he doesn't impose himself on us. I mean, God could make us do what's right. He, he's not as concerned with like hitting us over the head, you know, whenever we go astray when it comes to morality. He's actually trying to woo us into his family, and warning us when we, when we stray away, it actually does damage for us and damage for others. He's not as hidden as it may seem. The scriptures t- promise us that when you pursue him, when you come near to God, he comes near to you. The problem is often we can't hear him because our backs are turned to him. But if you pursue God, here's my guarantee, if you sincerely say, God, reveal yourself to me, and you start spending time in the scriptures, you start spending time in prayer, you spend time in community, you will find he speaks to us. I'll give you a little example. It may not be in the way you expect. That's important to know. I've never heard God audibly, Eric, turn left at the light. (laughs) That's never happened for me. 
But I'll give you a little example. In the first service, I read from Exodus 34. A guy comes up to me uh, who's kind of renewed in his faith, and he says, look what I just got from a buddy of mine. It was Exodus 34. It was the same exact passage. A buddy from Mississippi texted him, hey, I was just thinking about you, and I wanted to send you this verse reminding you who God is. He had just heard me say that. That's how God speaks. God is always speaking. When I was in college, I I started writing down, like I felt this way, like, God, why aren't you there? I can't seem to find you. And you do miraculous things for other people and not for me. And so I I started writing down when God would show up. And at one point, like it became so obvious, I, I literally couldn't leave my dorm room because I was writing constantly. What had happened is I had a different perspective. What I took for granted, I now saw as miraculous. And so for some of us, it's just a matter of, do you really want God to answer your questions? Do you really want God to show up for you? Uh, During the break in the lobby, I was talking with another one of ours, and she said, you know, sometimes God does feel so distant, and sometimes I just need a hug. And so I gave her a hug. (laughs) Sometimes that's what God's community does for each other, that we can be there for each other. We are sent to be there for each other. So I'm just going to quick little plug. I'm going to tell you three things that are coming up that you can just jump right into, right? Because coming on Sundays is good. Not coming isn't as helpful in your spiritual journey. Coming every week is good, but jumping into community beyond that is even better. So three quick things coming up. The women's brunch. If you're a female and you like to eat, uh, come on Saturday, all right? If you're in your 20s, Saturday night, we have the anchor. Uh, They have a, a summer bash right out here in the back lot. Uh, If you're married, we're doing something on the 19th. Uh, It's called Maximizing Marriage. And again, starting to get to know other people who follow Jesus will help you follow Jesus. In June, we're going to do a night of stand-up comedy and music, a singles night out. And you'll hear more about that. But jumping into these opportunities, not just to know other people's names, but so that other people can really get to know you and you can get to really know others. Well, that was over four minutes, but I got to give you credit because, man, you did an answer and you plugged like four or five different (laughs) events. That's right, that's right. That's pretty good. I did my best. Um, So the next question is um, a little bit having to do with God's sovereignty, man or humanity's free will, um, but also suffering in general, right? So is God in control? Are humans in control? If God is in control, God's doing a pretty bad job. With gotcha. all the terrible things that are yeah. happening, which has more weight, God's sovereignty or our human free will? Uh, you know, why, why is there just so much suffering yeah. when it comes to our exercise of free will? Yeah. Well, we've touched on this the last few weeks, but let me just say that um, what's most important for you to know is that, that God is with us in the midst of our suffering. That this world is not the way he intended, nor is it the way it will always be. And kind of going back even to God's wrath, this idea of he will bring justice. And there's something inside of us that wants justice unless it's towards us. And so in the midst of this world that is broken and there is suffering, God is with us in the midst of the suffering. But it's also really remarkable because God can... God is in control. He can be trusted. He is sovereign, but it doesn't mean that there aren't things happening that he allows to happen that aren't against his will. I mean, otherwise, why would Jesus tell us to pray, God, your will be done on 
earth as it is in heaven. Like every day we're to be reminded that things are not the way they're supposed to be and we can be a part of making those changes. So it's a critical thing to, to realize. Um, you know, in my own life, seeing people that I love um, die and seeing others that, um, you know, some I prayed for, it seemed to work, some I prayed for, it didn't work. You know, I've had to wrestle with that. Am I willing to trust God even when things don't go the way I want them to? And knowing that he mourns with those who mourns, weeps with those who weeps, I think is really important to remember. This is a short little time we have on earth. There's a C.S. Lewis quote I wrote down in case it would be helpful. He says, if you think of this world as a place simply intended for happiness, you'll find it quite intolerable. But if you think of it as a place for training and correction, it's not so bad. And I think when we realize that we will suffer, I mean, it's all throughout the scriptures, it is promised, you will suffer. Sometimes it's because of the bad choices we've made. Sometimes it's because of the bad choices of others. Sometimes it's just because we live in a broken world and it seems like we are at the wrong place at the wrong time. In all of those scenarios, God is still there with us. God is still there with us. One last little thought. Just that too, man. All right, one last little thought. There's a great little verse where Paul says that I know that God will safely deliver me into his kingdom. And I like the first part. He will safely deliver me. My circumstances will be as I want them to be. But he adds that last little part because his, his perspective was more an eternal perspective. What's the worst they can do to me? They cannot separate me from the love of God. Worst they can do to me is kill me, hurt me imprison me, but I still have Jesus. That's an internal perspective. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Still under three. Great job. I'm trying. All right. So this next one is having to do with uh, just our understanding of Jesus. Um, we, we often say Jesus is the only way to God, right? Um, so one question that we got specifically to us, actually, what's the best explanation you give to nonbelievers about God and your faith? Um, I, I saw a couple others pop up from our last session around this same question, right? Like, how, how do you put God first? Um, how, how do you talk about Jesus? Yeah. Well, I was looking for a particular quote um, that will start with a guy named Mortimer Adler. You guys ever heard of him? Uh, he was known as America's philosopher, and um, he was the editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember encyclopedias? Uh, before Google. Uh, anyway, he did this uh, at the end of his life, uh, and I may not be able to find it. At the end of his life, he did this study of trying to figure out what could be true, verifiably uh, true. I'm not finding it. Oh, here it is. Uh, he said this. Sorry, page. it was the first page. That's <laughs> embarrassing. All right. He said, he was trying to answer the question, can any verifiable truth be found in any of the world's religions? And he writes this, again, not a believer, agnostic, and he writes this. Among the major world religions, only three religions claim to have a supernatural foundation to be found in a sacred scripture that purports to be a divine revelation. The three religions distinguished by this claim are Judaism, Christianity, and the religion of Islam. Among the other religions, only some claim to have logical and factual truth, but the truth they claim to have is of, div of human, not divine origin. And so he goes on to talk about how if you read the r different religious texts, most are not claiming um, that God actually revealed himself to real people. They're more mythological stories of gods and goddesses. But the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran all point to Jesus. 
as a prophet. Now, the Quran denies that he actually died, but they still say he's coming back. I don't know if you realize that. So if you're here and you're not sure, um, I would start with the person of Jesus. I remember uh, being in a Q&A and Erwin, he's the pastor, Erwin McManus at the church I was at for 13 years, and someone asked him, of all the different world religions and all the different philosophies, why do you follow Jesus? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, he's the only one that came for me. See, no other world religion claims that they have come to rescue us. So if you start with, is Jesus who he said he is, and how did he come to rescue me, and how can I follow him, and what's happened in the lives of people who follow him, you will find. You can be Baptist or Methodist, you could be Muslim, you could be Jewish, you could be, you name it, and none of that will rescue you. Only Jesus will rescue you. He came for everyone, no matter what religious background. He is the only way because he's the only one who came for us. And so I I think if you're here and you're unsure, starting there, just starting to read some of the eyewitnesses, what the Gospel of John, he wrote to help us believe, he says at the end of his book, just read, God, if you're real, show me who you are and start reading through the Gospel of John. We have copies, we'd love to give you one. But to me, um, my experience with Jesus, it's so hard to describe, like how do you How do you describe what it's like to be found? How do you put into words what it's like to be forgiven and to have peace? I mean, I was, uh, sorry, I was telling my daughter, you know, this is a few years ago, you know, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she was scared and and we were getting on to her about waking us up and uh, what am I supposed to do? And And I had this realization, again, this is a few years ago, she's almost 17 now, so don't tell her I told this story. Um, But I said, sweetheart, God is always there for you in a way I never could be. Like as a dad, if I can help her find what I've found in my faith. It's so hard to explain how real Jesus is unless you've experienced him. So, Ask me about my bald head or something. <laughs> change, change the subject. Um, let, me, let me just summarize with this. Let me just... Um, um, God's love for you is so real. And just because you can't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. Pursue him and he will reveal himself to you. Hey, actually, I know our time is a little bit limited. Do you have one more question? I have one more. Okay. Um, it's connected, actually, to okay. what you're already saying. Thank you. Yeah, we really do appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability with us. Um, so, again, this last question is really connected with what you're already talking about. What is it that the Lord wants from us, right? Um, you're talking about being found by Jesus. Uh, I feel like that has something to do with it. So tell me a little bit more. Tell us a little bit more about what, what purpose could look like. Can we talk about dinosaurs or something? Uh, dinosaurs no, are cool too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I remember one time talking to a girl. Uh, about, well, this reminds me. When I was a kid, we would ask our youth leaders, how far is too far? And it's because we wanted to go there. Like, <laughs> like, tell us how far we can go. And I, having a conversation with a woman in, in Los Angeles and, and you know, well, if I, if I follow Jesus, we'll have to give this up, we'll have to give that up. And it's like, 
actually, it's worse than that, and it's better than that. When you follow Jesus, you have to give him and get to give him everything. But he gives you back what's best for us. And you can trust him. And so what, what my encouragement is uh, to you today is just press into faith. If you're skeptical and you have questions about dinosaurs and, you know, how can this, you know, evolution and all those things, let me just say, don't let tertiary questions keep you from personally answering the primary question is, do you believe that there is a God who loves you and who's come to rescue you, that offers you new life and life to the fullest? Now, I will say this. If you want to send questions we didn't get to today, we'd be happy to answer. Uh, John and Jamie, the other pastors, we're going to give us a few weeks. But if it's a question you're really struggling with uh, that can help you kind of grow in your faith or even step into faith, send that to questions at gatewaychurch.com and we'll try to answer those because we know we couldn't get to all of them today. But let me pause and let's thank John for helping us today. And let me just close with a couple of thoughts. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to end with two songs. And the reason we wanted to do that is to just create the space for you to interact with God. See, music is a transcendent power, but it also allows us to get rid of the distractions. And you can just allow the band to sing over you what you might be hoping is true. Or it could be singing these words out, declaring them as true, even if you don't feel like it. But I want to do something that we don't often do here, but I want to do it because I feel like in the midst of this Easter season and, and these questions that we have, I wonder if you're here and you realize you have enough evidence to say yes to faith, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've wandered away and maybe it's a reconnection, recommitment to follow him. And so I, if you don't mind, I just, again, this isn't something we normally do, but if you don't mind just to create the space for solitude with God and a crowd of hundreds of people, if you want to just close your eyes and, and even bow your head if that's helpful, and in your own heart, I just want to invite you to say a prayer. If this is what your heart really feels, if this is what you want to be true, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you sent your son to die for me. Would you forgive me for going my own way? And Jesus, would you lead me? I want to be your adopted child. I want to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, following Jesus means a relationship with God. And because of that relationship, it changes how we live. Too many of us are trying to change how we live to get to God. We don't have to. He's already come for us. And we get to change. And he empowers us, enables us, and equips us to change. His spirit lives with us. And so I want to invite you over these next just 10 minutes just to let God speak to you through the lyrics, through your own heart, and just ask God to make himself real. And to show you, maybe there's specific things that will come to mind. People he wants you to reach out and serve and love. Or, or something he wants you to surrender. Allow this to be time that you're interacting with God, even as together we sing. So let's stand together as the band leads us.